0: Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Trail. In this episode, I welcome the head coach of the men's soccer program at Seattle University, Nate Dalekon. Nate brings a ton of experience and a West Coast perspective to the podcast. He's been a part of the Red Hawk program for over a decade and has been instrumental in being a perennial leader of the WAC Conference. Also joining us is Michael Tiemann. Michael came to the U.S. from Liverpool to play college soccer at the College of William & Mary and went on to coach at Wilkes University and Penn State Berks. He then made his way west to become a coach at Crossfire, one of the premier youth clubs in the Pacific Northwest. Please enjoy, and remember to share this episode and send me your questions and comments through matchplayrecruit.com. All right, so uh, today we have uh, Nate Dalig Khan, if I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Um, from Seattle University. Um, out on the West Coast, obviously, um, it was really a weird coincidence today. I was driving home from the grocery store, and in, the car in front of me had a Seattle U bumper sticker on it. I was like, "That's that's uh, that's really strange." Um, I don't know if that's irony or coincidence, but uh, yes. <laughs> I always get confused with the definition of the two of those. So anyway, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, I believe uh, our our mutual friend, Michael Tiemann, will be joining us a little later. But uh, um, the last time I had him on, the uh, transcript, there's like an AI transcription for the podcast. And it wouldn't transcribe because of his accent. So, um, <laughs> you know, maybe it's better that we don't have him on right away. So, um, so yeah, uh, thanks again. Um, you are the head men's soccer coach at Seattle, un- Seattle University. Um and tell me about how you ended up there, like you grew up in Seattle? Did you yes. grow up on the West Coast? Um, yes. Yeah. And played club soccer out there, and um, nice. yeah. So maybe fill us in on, on how you got to where you are. Okay.
1: Yeah, so played uh, Seattle Pacific uh, Division Two school. Um, mm-hmm. uh, successful program, had successful four years there. Um, went on and played, in what is now the usl it used to be called the a league um played with the seattle sounders got traded played with rochester rhinos for um for a bit too and then uh finished up uh my last year in seattle um playing and then uh finished up took a job at uh, a soccer company called diodora um and uh was their worked in their marketing team there and then got the, got the itch to, to coach. I was coaching youth. And then, um, the opportunity arose at Seattle Pacific to be the assistant went there for about four years. Um, and then came to Seattle U, uh, been at Seattle U for the last 10 years as the associate head coach. Okay. And then, uh, just took over the head coaching role in April. So, uh, okay kind of yeah. just getting everything situated so yeah. yeah
0: so Seattle U for those of you who don't know is a um, private school out on the west coast uh, I don't know why I say that it's in Seattle um, uh, Division one, and um, as we were talking about before we started recording you guys play a, a hefty schedule um, like I there was a lot of ranked teams on your um, on your schedule there um, Are you keeping that same schedule this year Yeah, I think um, this next year, I think we're
1: six teams that made the tournament last year. So um, out of the out of the 17. So and I think there's a lot of teams, but we try to try to go and play the best and challenging schedule that we can.
0: Yeah. So are you uh, coming out this way at all on the East Coast? Not not this
1: year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. so you're in Rochester for a, for a little bit, right? Um, you're actually, other than uh, t you're my first West Coast. You're okay. definitely my first West Coast head coach of a college program. Um, I mean, what are are there differences in, in youth soccer on the West Coast versus the kind of what we're used to on the East Coast and, and that sort of thing? Um, more or less clubs? Uh, more or less, college programs—you know, all that sort of thing. What's the, the the atmosphere and the
1: climate? Yeah, I mean, in the, the college programs for sure. There's way more on the East Coast, and it's more situated. I think it's interesting when we talk to when we talk to players on the East Coast, and we tell them that we fly to almost every game. And they are amazed, and so okay. um, and so. I think you know, there's only uh three division one teams in Washington, uh five division one teams between Washington and Oregon, so everything's kind of a little bit more spread out. Yeah. When you go down to California, that's where you get kind of the 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 big amount of right. programs and and different things. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're kind and of
0: so the youth world, clubs are pretty spread out as well.
1: Uh, yeah, the youth clubs actually. The youth seems very good in in Washington. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's um, a lot of different clubs, but there's the players here are are very very good, and there's very good clubs, so they kind of um, help mold those players. So when they when they get to recruitable ages, um, they're very good. I was you know down in the E C N L and mm-hmm. there's a quite a few Washington teams that went through. So.
0: Okay. So um, when you're like in the grand scheme of recruiting, are you mostly close to home, bringing kids close, from close to home? Or are you an international? Yeah, it's <laughs>
1: it's everywhere. Um, okay. Us as a private school, it's different because we're not, um, there's no in-state tuition. Everyone pays the same amount. Um, Every student gets the same same amount of aid, uh, merit aid, academic aid, and so. Um, so, for us, we're looking for kind of the best players and the best fit for the program, and right. obviously, we get to watch the local players a lot more, so we have more of an evaluation on them. But mm-hmm. uh, we have players from
0: everywhere. So. Gotcha. Um, so, walk me through. I'm just thinking about like the process of getting in touch with coach Dalekon, you know, um, I'm a high school, uh, a rising junior, um, which is kind of a weird time for, I don't know when you guys start looking at, at kids and communicating with kids, but uh, mm-hmm. I know that at the D one level, it's different than D three or D two. Well, I don't know necessarily about D two. We don't have a ton of D two, oh. especially in Virginia, only one school, believe it or not. Um, So, you know, talk about the ins and outs of, you know, calendar um, Mm. and then, you know, the best way in your opinion to approach um, a college coach, especially, you know, a coach who's at a a school who plays a big schedule and and has some tournament notoriety and that sort of thing. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think um, the contact, the the biggest thing and, um, you know, making sure that there's, Video. There's an opportunity for um, these are when my games are that type of thing. Um, you know, usually what will happen is you watch a watch a video and that kind of piques your interest, and then you start to do some more background checks on them in terms of talking to coaches, talking to people that have maybe maybe they played against, and then you know also going out and seeing them play live. So. I think, uh, you know, but that first email is is important because you want to make sure that you give as much information as possible. So then they'll either move forward or, okay, probably not the right fit or, yes, it isn't. Right.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure that you, over the last few weeks, you've, you said you've been to ECNL and you've been to the Dallas Cup, right? Um, Uh, MLS next. MLS, they don't call the Dallas Cup anymore. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, So, like, you were inundated with emails, I'm sure, like, Mm you got more than you could handle. Um, And so talk about, you know, what emails, you know, make you click on them and what emails are like, I, I you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, I imagine you probably get to all of them, you and your staff, but yeah. you know, which ones stand out and which ones kind of get left behind so to speak. Yeah. I think we like, we'll,
1: we'll kind of build a, uh, um, build a schedule off of the emails that you get. So I think that's a big <laughs> piece of it is, um, if you want to get on that schedule, there has to be some type of email. Um, We can tell which emails we're just copying and pasting, like, okay, hey, come watch me play. I think if there's a little bit more to that email about who they are as a player, um, you know, if they've done some research on the school, you know, that'll start to pique your interest a little bit more because you want players that really want to be at the school. And those are the, most successful players are players that really want to be there.
0: So, right. So, how yeah. do you, in your mind, how do how do kids prove that they want to come to Seattle University? Yeah, I
1: think uh, you know that first email that the the communication is is key. If, mm-hmm. if if a player really wants to come here, they'll be making sure that they're communicating um, often. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. oh so, yeah, I want to come. But if you don't hear from a player for four months now, all of a sudden, maybe that's not, maybe does he really want to come? So Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So like something just popped in my head. I mean, you are attending the highest level events that youth soccer has to offer in the United States. I mean, neither one of us are spring chickens at this point. Right. So compare like the game, you know, the level of play now, to when we were younger, and you know, how much, is, how far has it come, and and how far do you think it's going to go? You know, yeah, it's, I, I I think it's a different the, game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's different.
1: The athleticism's different. The, um, you know, kids it, now. I mean, I have a ten-year-old, and he's he can just click on, watch any game he wants. And you know, when when we were younger, and when I was younger, it was you were lucky to. Be able to find a game um, yeah. on TV, and so they're seeing they're seeing more. They're emulating different things. Mm-hmm. They're they get to go see things live. I mean, I I think it's just it's night yeah. and day. Um, you know, I, I now before I think one of the areas when I was younger, all right, get kids together and go play and play in the park and. Mm -hmm. you know, that's how you tried stuff. That's how you, I think now it's different. Everything's a little bit more organized and, um, a little bit more, okay, you have to, this practice, that practice, I think, Mm -hmm. especially at the younger ages, maybe it's, it's good for them to just be able to play sometimes.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you noticed like, uh, kids who come to you at your level, Well, we'll, obviously that's your reference point. Um, Are they um, you know, let's say that their club team has four practices a week and a match over the weekend or whatever. Are they the kind of kids that they're doing extra? They're Mm -hmm. you know, maybe staying after practice to work on penalties or or set pieces or one-on-one defending or something like that versus you know, and maybe they have a goal set up in their yard and when they're younger and that sort of thing, but they're the kind of kid that that's like always engaged with it. Um, Are you finding that that's really what's necessary to be at a, a, you know, a higher level school or, you know, are the kids getting by with just what their club has to offer?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they do, especially as they get into the, the older ages um, really, really focusing on, how to improve and you know sometimes maybe some clubs don't have maybe you're training in a smaller space or Mm -hmm. you know maybe they have to go out and work on their own just in a bigger space to be able to to improve that because maybe that's what they don't get or maybe they don't get enough finishing in training so they have to go on go and kind of improve that Mm -hmm. Um, so i think those are things and that kind of carries over to to the college level as well you can you know where guys are need to to go out and do extra because of where they're at um in right. um, to help them improve so
0: yeah i mean um i mean it, and for you it's like it's an indication of a work ethic too right and a desire to yep. to to advance and and get to that next level um yeah i mean the unfortunate thing is that, you know, these kids aren't going to know how cool Deodora boots were. I mean, the, <laughs> those right. were so cool.
1: Those were some of the best, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, Faggio and, uh, Roy Keane wearing them. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I mean, it, there's just not the diversity of, of boots around that there used to be. I mean, Lotto and, and, uh, deodora I, I loved my
2: Diadoras.
0: Um, oh yeah. so uh, So, <laughs> team. Oh, we're, just, we're just talking about Diadoras.
2: Diadoras, yeah. Well, before you get chatting, just want to apologise. Um, just doing adulting things and uh yeah, spending too much money on renovating the house and all that. But yeah, um, yeah, happy to be on anyway. I'm yeah. sure this will be my last invite now. <laughs>
0: No, 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 no. Um, I appreciate you jumping on. I mean, we were just catching up, kind of on the on, you know, Nate coming up and that sort of thing. And that's when he told me that he worked for Diodora for ten years after he was done Imagine. playing. So, um, do you, are you old enough to? I mean, you know what Diodora is, but did you ever wear any Diodora boots?
2: No, no, it's a bit too flashy for that. Always the uh, was actually always Adidas. I was predators. Um, Every year, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's like all the lads on the team would get their Predators, and it was just like as soon as they came out, kind like kids now with iPhones, like you know, the release date, and you know, everyone's getting them as soon as. So, I was always Predators, and then when I got to uh, college, we had to wear Nike, so I was yeah. switching um, the MPOs usually. I think I was with Nike, um, yeah, yeah. As funny as my dad, he's just got back into coaching again, he coached me as a kid. He said he whipped out his uh, ASICs, or do you, do you pronounce it ASICs? Yeah. Yeah, ASICs. Yeah, he just whipped his out there like black and I was like, he had literally 25 years old boots. <laughs> I was just like, can't be wearing ASICs nowadays. <laughs> yeah, you
0: gotta send him a pair of something and get him out of those, you know?
2: Um, yeah, maybe Nate can hook, he'll hook him up, you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you have to be Adidas. There he goes.
2: Uh, yeah. Adidas. Yeah, he, he likes Adidas. He'll wear that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, those are kind of old school. So um,
2: yeah.
0: yeah, they've come a long way since Copa Mundials. That's for sure.
2: So it's, they're still well, still solid boots. Copas.
0: Oh yeah. Um, so ne- yeah, Timon, So now that we have you on here, um, maybe talk a little bit about kind of the interaction between someone coaching a club team and, uh, you know, an interested college coach or what role the club plays in and in, in talking to a college coach, uh, on behalf of a, a player, um, you know, how much of an interaction should there be in your guys' minds to, uh, you know, work on getting a kid to the right place?
2: Yeah. So currently, um, like I said, on the last podcast, I mostly predominantly the younger ages. So in the last few years, I haven't had as much of that communication, but in my previous years when I was coaching at Penn State Burks, and Wilkes at D three, I was doing a little bit of club stuff on the side. So maybe I know things have changed a lot in the last five or six years. I've spoke to Nate, um, you know, about how recruiting changed, and obviously the last podcast. But um, as a as a coach, I think a lot of times it's always going to start with the college coach because there has to be that first interest on the college coach. I'm sure there are times, examples where, you know, the college coach has said, hey, I like number 10. Um, And then the coach said, yeah, he's a good player, this, this, and this. But then, you know, I'm sure the coach goes, hey, look at number seven. He hasn't been recruited here or he's just coming back from a knee injury or blah, blah, blah. And there might be some context to that situation where the club coach could maybe initiate that a little bit. But in my experience, in my opinion, I think most of it's going to start with the college coach, and then the club coach can maybe give some background on the family and some things maybe you don't see on the field, which could help uh, help the kid in, in those situations. If that answers the question,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, Nate, how much do you rely on you know the input from people you know who work with the kid every day, basically?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, as a coach, you're able to see. That player, you know, okay, over a weekend, or you know, you don't get to have that contact with them every single day, or see what his training habits are like, or what type of, you know, what type of teammate he's like. Um, so I think those are things that we really, really ask about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's nice we'll get input from from the coaches, and um, you know, when we go and watch them, we can see things, but. I think a lot of it's the training habits. You know, how is he when he comes to practice? What's his preparation like? How is he mentally? Those are the things that may be a little bit more difficult to see just by seeing him at a
0: tournament or, you know, over a couple games. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears over to parents a little bit. And, you know, there's probably – And parents invest a lot of time and money into, into, you know, their kids club careers. And, you know, you're talking about traveling to Greensboro, you know, there's whole teams that travel there and Dallas and all over the country. Um, And so they have this expectation that, you know, they've earned an offer somewhere and that they've earned a scholarship. And so along those lines, you know, how do you handle those expectations? What are some of the, assumptions that are made that aren't necessarily fair, um, and that sort of thing that you find yourself, um, I don't know, what's the word, uh, you know, kind of just setting them straight, so to speak, and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So what, what kind of stuff do you encounter along those lines? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, I think there's in. I think every there's a fit for everyone, um, and I think that's kind of the the hardest thing sometimes to is to be honest um, and just saying, okay, maybe this is a better fit for you than this. Um, you know, and, and what is what does the player want? We always we, the school. It has to be you're going to this place for the right reasons and if it's just for soccer sometimes and you know soccer has its ups and downs and you know if it's just for that um then it might make it difficult when things aren't going well on that side of things and so we really stress the the aspect of picking a school for the right reasons and just an all-encompassing like okay size of the school or you know, the soccer program is a big part of it, um, mm-hmm. but it can't be the only part. Do, so.
0: Right, right. Um.
2: Yeah, just to like, jump onto those points, I, the role of the parent is is obviously huge. The the player obviously has to kick the ball, and the, that's the biggest part of it. They, they have to play well and get noticed. But from a very young age, obviously, Nate has a kid um, in the in the program and a coach you know the youth side of, and the, the role of the parents is of very different in the younger ages and the older ages and I think parents have to help the kid but not obviously force them to make a decision and that's obviously kind of same thing in life decisions but a lot of some kids at 18 think they know everything and know what they want and they obviously don't so I think the role of the parent in terms of choosing the right college has to Pretty much lay out like a roadmap and decision making to help their kid make the best decision. Like, especially nowadays, I hear a lot of the parents say, "I am gonna make her make make the decision," and it's just like it's crazy. Like, you know, some kids are turning down spots on certain teams, maybe not taking a spot at a better club on you know the second team and going to a weaker club, a weaker program to take a spot on the A team. And a lot of times, it's just like, yeah, I am gonna let you know, Susie or Jimmy decide. And I don't think that's right. I think they have to guide them um, in a neutral way. Like, these are the pros, these are the cons. Um, same when choosing a college. Like Nate said, they got to make the best decision based on everything. I think, obviously, schooling has to be the top of that. But don't be, you know, letting the kid go, oh, I want to go to this school because his best friend's going there. Or I want to stay local because I have a high school girlfriend. And the role of parent's like, okay, Jimmy, this is what... You're going to get from choosing this school. We really think you should consider this. And um, once the kid knows all the pros and cons, because they don't know them at that age, then I think, you know, the kid can make a decision. But parents can't do step back and let them do everything or step forward and do everything for the kid. There has to be that balance to help them make the right decision because it could be a four year commitment and maybe that means moving across the country. So it's a pretty, pretty big decision.
0: Yeah um Nate how important is it in your mind like when you have a kid and his parents or parents in your office um you know i'm sure you're observing that interaction and you know how much is a kid relying on the parent and you know are, are you asking a question and then they're looking over to their parent and that kind of thing i mean are you obviously you observe that you know talk about you know what each of those little interactions and, and things mean to you and you know what could be a turnoff and what's kind of a turn on for you you know wanting to pursue that kid
1: yeah I think um you know we've been doing this for I mean 15 plus years and you know you're sitting and sometimes you know a kid comes and his parents don't even know he's at school and like just Sometimes it's both parents and they're, you know, I think we get a wide range of everything. Um, And I think like some some kids are maybe shy. Some kids are looking at their parents. You know, there's a lot of different different things that go on in terms of the conversations. I think the biggest thing is just like when we talk to players individually, it's it's more about what that is relationship wise, and, and how do we feel he will fit into the group. And I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing is, alright, if he's shy, then that's fine too, if he doesn't talk a lot, but how is he going to fit into the group? How is going to grow? Um, and, I, you know, the kids come in at 18, and they leave at 22 or 23 there's a lot of growth that happens between those years. And so you, there's a player that comes in and maybe he doesn't talk a lot when he's in the office, but now by the time he's a senior, he's a great leader and he's one of the first guys to to be out on the field. And really you see that growth a lot um, through the four years. So there's a lot of things that change and, you know, there's some things that you'll go, okay, well, it's not for us. And there's some things that go, well, he's a big kid. And maybe we can help him grow. As well.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Michael, I mean, your experience, I mean, you came to a foreign country and, you know, nobody knew you, you didn't know anyone. I, I'm pretty sure that's your story, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I mean, you're obviously not a shy guy. Um, were you back then and, and how did you grow into your role, you know, playing at William and Mary and, um, yeah, talk, I mean, obviously you had some confidence. That's not really an issue for you.
2: Um, uh, yeah, yeah. no, Like I'm generally quite introverted and reserved mostly. Um, and what's funny is, you know, I committed to William and Mary and I didn't even go to the campus and I never even met, you know, met the coach. Um, before going there, which might sound crazy and stupid, but when I did come over and visit, I visited, you know, the ACC schools, and I couldn't, you know, fly out again, really, like, financially, to come out again to America just to look at one school. So I always just had the mentality, I just want to keep playing, and this is a good opportunity, and, you know, our respected opinions of other coaches. Like I said, the the coach at Duke, he was like, hey, William Mary's, really good school, good coach. They just won the conference, went the national tournament. So rightly or wrongly, I just kind of took that. And I was just like, yeah, you know, that works. Um, and in my previous two years, before I came to America, I was doing a scholarship in England. Um, and so we lived away from home. It was only a couple hours away. But we basically were Monday to Friday training and going to school. And then Saturday, we'd play a game. And then Saturday afternoon, we'd go home. Um, and I'd spend the night at home. And then go back on the Sunday evening, so that was like a nice, um, nice preparation, I guess, because I was living away from home for six days um, a week, and so then the transition, I guess, away, f- you know, full time or well, for four months at a time, um, made it easier for me.
0: Thank you, and I hope you benefited from Nate and Michael's insights again. Please share the podcast and send me your questions and comments at matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail.